This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Seventh book of the Old Testament, book of Judges, and we're going to be going to the 13th chapter. At least that's where we're going to begin. Book of Judges, chapter 13. This is the story, obviously, of Samson. It's one of those uh, stories in the Bible that has really, over the generations and over the thousands of years, has caught the attention of many, many people. Hollywood has uh, made several films. There's been all kinds of plays and stories. So we want to go straight to the Word of God and find out the truth of it all. Now, if anything this story teaches us is this, is separation. God wants his people to be separate from this world. Not isolated, but separated. In fact, Jesus, making that point clear in John 17 in his great prayer, listen to what he says. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so even Jesus was recognizing that as long as we're alive, we're going to be in this world, surrounded by this world's system, uh, and we've got to deal with that. And we can't deal with it if we isolate ourselves from it. Jesus, one of the complaints that the Pharisees had with Jesus was that he was a friend of publicans and sinners. And so even though he was separate and undefiled, but yet he wasn't isolated from the world around him, he made it a point actually to go to them and to eat with them. But he didn't do what they did. In other words, even though he was separate, he didn't isolate himself, but neither did he assimilate himself into the society around him. And there's always a danger. Uh, those of us who realize that we're separate, but we don't want to be isolated, and we want to reach out to the world around us, there's a slight danger if we're not careful that in reaching out, that we become assimilated into the world around us, and we start to do the things they do and think the way they think and act the way they act, and that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be separate. Well, here's a man that was called, that was born actually to be separate from the world around him. He would be a Nazarite, and the word there means uh, basically to be separate, to be consecrated from the world around him. But as we read through this story, you will see that even though he was anointed and even though he was born for this and even though God had called him to do this, he actually didn't do it. He wasted his opportunities. And he played and toyed 
with the gift that God had given him to the point where he lost it all. So let's have a little look here and let's, let's learn the lesson. This is why this is here for us. Before we just read here, I need also to say the Philistines at this time uh, were, were actually in control of Israel for 40 years. Now, unlike the other nations who around them who come in and control them and, and, and fought against them, like the Moabites and the Hittites and, and, and so forth, uh, the Philistines didn't actually do that. Uh, what they did was they infiltrated them and they caused the Israelites to assimilate themselves into their society through trade and through intermarriage. Uh, first of all, they disarmed the, the Israelites, and the Philistines uh, were at the stage where they knew how to smelt iron. And so they had very powerful weapons. And any weapons the Israelites had, they made sure they took them off them. So anything that an Israelite wanted, whether it was a shovel or a spade or whatever, they had to go to the Philistines and buy it off them. And so they would start to trade with them. And also they didn't mind if they would intermarry with them. And so for a long time, that's what was happening. Now normally when you read through the book of Judges, you'll see a pattern. And the pattern normally is this, that the children of Israel uh, start to copy the nations around them and go into idolatry. And then the nations around them take over them and, and, and bring them into bondage. And that can go on for years. And then they cry on to the Lord for deliverance. And the Lord in his mercy raises up a deliverer. And they're called judges. Not somebody with a wig on in a court, but somebody who can judge between God and the nation and the surrounding nations. And, and there were several of these judges. Uh, but if you read the story here, which we will, not once did the children of Israel, not once did they repent, not once in this story did they cry unto God for deliver. Why? Because they were assimilated. And they were quite happy to go along with whatever the Philistines wanted. Nobody was killing them. They were getting a little bit prosperous. They were intermarrying. Everything seemed to be fine. Why rock the boat? And so they weren't crying unto God. So God didn't send them a national deliverer, but he sent them a judge nonetheless. And even though this judge Samson would not, would not clear the nation of the Philistines, it would take Samuel and David later on to do that. But he did irritate them somewhat. <laughs> he really, really, really got on their case. But a lot of what he did with the Philistines was much more of a personal thing rather than for God. It was much more personal revenge in what he did. But nonetheless, it began to show the Israelites, hey, these really are your enemy. I know you've assimilated. I know you're quite thinking, well, it's okay, we're all right. But really, these are your enemy. You're not the people you should be as long as you're allowing this to happen. And so Samson would rise up and show them this. So let's begin to read. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore please be careful not to drink wine nor similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, and the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Notice this, he shall begin, but he never did finish that. It took Samuel and David to do that. Now let's just pause another moment. And as a right, as we see, is somebody that's been separated unto God. Now normally, this would be something that they would choose to do. An Israelite would choose to do this. And normally it would be for, uh, for a, a period, maybe a short period. But Samson was born a Nazarite. And he was to be a Nazarite all the days of his life. God called him to this even in his mother's womb. Now all Nazarites, there were three things that they mustn't do. They must not drink wine or any strong drink. Not even eat grapes or raisins. Nothing of the vine should they touch. They were not allowed to touch a dead body. That would contaminate them ceremonially. So they were not allowed to do that. There were things that they just were not allowed to do. And the last thing was they were not allowed to cut their hair. So you can imagine Samson over the period of his life, his hair was quite long. In fact, he had seven big ringlets. And so he would stand out and everybody would know, hey, he's a Nazarite. That's the sign of the Nazarite. But as we begin to read through this story, you'll see that he really didn't pay much attention to those things that a Nazarite should do. He should have, but he didn't. And so here he's born, and the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me. His countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So even his mother, before he was born, was not allowed to do these things. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. This was a godly man and woman. And that was unusual in these days in Israel. And thank God there was godly men and women among the Israelites who had given themselves over to idolatry and all kinds of things. And so God comes to such a couple. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Noah, Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. And, she, and when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let me detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. 
And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Now, most commentators believe this was no simple angel, that this was an Old Testament appearance of Christ, the angel of the Lord. And so, verse 17, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? And when your words come to pass, that we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? <laughs> Some version says, Seeing it is wondrous. Zion 9 and 6, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, and so forth. So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Then Manoah and his wife saw this and they fell on their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord appeared, appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, which means sonny, by the way. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manae Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Now, geographically, the Philistines had, had begun to uh, occupy the sort of the west coast of Israel. You could see that in the maps in the back of your Bible. And there's five major cities now that they were in control of. And, and Dan was one of those tribes that had originally been close to the, very close to that area. But most of them had moved away up north to get out of the road of the Philistines. But this family of Danites, Manoah and his wife and others, stayed right there beside where the Philistines were. Now note this. Now Samson went down to Timnath, which is about four miles from where they lived, and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughter's of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Now you know that in those days, uh, you just didn't go out dating and you decided that you were going to marry. Your parents decided that. On both sides, husband or wife, your parents decided who was going to be your husband or who was going to be your wife. In fact, some parts of the, the world, that still is in operation today. You say, well, I wish it was in operation here. Or not. <laughs> I didn't get any amens there. <laughs> but anyway, that was the situation. But notice the demand. There's a, there's a demanding in his voice. There's a tenor to him. I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore go get her for me as a wife. 
Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Remember I told you at the start, this is really at the heart of this story is separation. And he's already breaking God's rules. God's law stated that they should not enter marry with the heathen around them. But that's what he wants to do. So his mother and father protest quite naturally. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. So now he is being actually rude and demanding and overbearing with his parents, which is never a good thing. Sure it's not. Actually, the very last verse of the last chapter of this book says... And this typifies what times were like then and actually what times are like today. And there was no king in Israel at that time. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. And Samson is doing what's right in his own eyes. Regardless of what God's law says, regardless of what his parents are saying, he's going to do what he thinks is right in his own eyes. It's not the spirit of the age today. Don't judge me. I feel good about this. How dare you put your judgment on me? Every man does what's right in his own eyes. So Samson went down to Timnath with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnath. Ah, the vineyards. He's no business being around vineyards. He shouldn't be within a million miles of a vineyard. Wrong place, wrong people. Wrong place, wrong people. Believers, if we're in the wrong place with the wrong people, guess what's going to happen? We're going to compromise. We're not going to be separate. Hmm? What is the old saying? If you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. It's a crude way of putting it, but it's true, isn't it? This is what's going to happen. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Ah, in spite, and this is the amazing thing, in spite of being the wrong place with the wrong people, the vineyards and the woman of Timna, in spite of all of that, when this lion came out against him, the Spirit of God came on him. That anointing, that calling, that power was still in him. And you'll see that throughout this story. And so he killed this lion. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after some time, when he returned to get her, so obviously he met with her, went back home, then after some time he came back again, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. 
And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Now, our resident beekeepers here tonight, Gary, in case you didn't know, and Gary, I'm sure, could tell you that bees is not going to swarm into an old, dead, rotten body. But obviously, this is taking a bit of time. Obviously, the vultures and the foxes or whatever had come and dined. And obviously, the bones were picked clean and it was dry. And so the bees found a little home there and they made some honey. But notice here, he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. Ah, he's touched a dead body. Deliberately, consciously, knowing what he's doing, knowing this is against the law of the Nazarite, but he does it just to see him. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate, but he did not tell them he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So he absolutely knows this is wrong. And he's not going to tell mom and dad. So his father went down to the woman. And Samson gave a feast there. For young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So let me put it into the vernacular. This is Samson's stag do. That's what it is. And they're having a feast and in the original, it implies this was going to be a drinking party. This was the area of the vineyards. The wine would be flowing. It would last for seven days. Now, it doesn't say explicitly, but I can't imagine Samson, after already breaking God's laws, already leaving aside his Nazarite vow, as it were, I can't imagine all these others drinking and the drink flowing and him sitting in the corner with seven up. Can't see that. I think he was in the midst of it. And so here's 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Ah. He's no dozer, as we say. He knew. Never in a million years could they, could they understand this riddle. And at the end of it, he was going to get, 30 of them were going to give him clothes. Now, I mean, these linen garments, I mean, these were the best. You're not talking here about getting in and getting a suit out of Asda or Tesco here. I mean, this was a Hugo Boss suit. I mean, this was Armani. This was, I mean, this was the best they had. And this is what he was wanting. This is what he was after. And he felt absolutely certain he'll get it at the end of the seven days. He's going to get all he can out of these Philistines one way or the other. So they says, well, what's your riddle? He said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Ah, he was good at riddles. He was good at poetry, wasn't he? And that was a good one, wasn't it? Now, for three days, they could not explain the riddle. 
They came to pass on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? I mean, are you and him in this together to get all these garments from us? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so why should I explain it to you? And she wept on him the seven days while the feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much, she nagged him to death. Then she explained the riddle. Then, he, then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? Hmm. And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Imagine calling your wife a heifer. I bet she wasn't too pleased about that. <laughs> But actually he was saying more than that because they didn't play with heifers. So he says, you've done this unfairly. You haven't played the game. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon, which is one of the Philistine cities, which is a long way from here. He went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men and took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. He did this dirty deed far enough away that they wouldn't know about it, at least there and then anyway. And that would get him out of it. And so his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house. Now, another little thing. At the end of the seven-day feasting, even though he was legally married, for the end of the seven-day feasting was the consummation of the marriage, and it didn't take place. He was so angry, and he was so angry with her, and he was so angry with these Philistines. He was just mad, and he left, went back to his father and mother. So what happened? Verse 20, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who'd been his best man. Father was sure he would not come back again, and this would be a great shame and stigma on his daughter that the marriage had not been consummated after all of the feasting and so forth and the whole public acknowledgement of the whole thing. So as quickly as he could, he married her off to the best man. But after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat, Ah, he's changed his mind. He's going to go back. He's going to consummate the marriage. Hasn't had his honeymoon. A bit late, but better late than never, he's thinking. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you had thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave him to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. <laughs> and Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines, Philistines if I harm them. 
implies he didn't think he was blameless the first time. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, or jackals probably means, it's the same word. And he took torches and turned the foxes and the jackals tail to tail and put a torch between each of the tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Those poor innocent wild animals, 300 of them, burnt to toast. Hasn't got much feeling, has he? Just wants revenge. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son in law of the Timite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Huh. You notice they didn't go after Samson because they were scared of him. So what did they do? Blamed the father. Well, it's his fault. He married her off to somebody else. No wonder Samson was angry. So we'll go and burn her and burn the father with fire, which they did. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. We don't know how many he slaughtered, but a great slaughter, it says. Now the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And so they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. And then you can hardly believe what you're about to read. Then the 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Eton and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? Here's a man that God has raised up who they should have been getting behind to rid themselves of the Philistines. But actually, they want rid of him rather than the Philistines. And they're blaming him for all of their trouble. Why? Because they're a backslidden lot. And the backslidden lot is going to blame the men and women of God rather than blame the devil that they're serving. Listen to this. Then the 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said, As they did to me, so have I done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. All 3,000 of them, weren't they brave? Then Samson said to them, Now here's, here's a little a nice thing about Samson here. He's dealing now with his own people, not the Philistines. Listen to this. Then Samson said to him, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will, not, we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now what was Samson's thinking here? 
He was th- not, not that he was scared of them. This man knew when the Spirit of God came on him, he was a match for anybody. But he was worried about them. He was worried if he ran away or he escaped or he killed some of them and, and lagged it away, he's worried what the Philistines would do to them. So he thinks, do you know what? I'll give myself up. At least that will spare them. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. They were cock-a-hoop. They were thrilled. They were delighted. Their arch enemy, the one that had caused him so many problems, they finally captured him. They even given to him by his own people. And they were rejoicing. But look what happens. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Probably teeth and all in it. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And he reached out his hand and he took it. And he killed a thousand men with it. Can you imagine? A jawbone of a donkey. And he killed a thousand armed Philistines. That was more than just natural brute power. That was the Spirit of God upon him. And the Spirit of God come on him. His strength increased a hundredfold for what it possibly could be. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath-Lehi, which means jawbone hell. (laughs) And then he became very thirsty. And so he cried out to the Lord. You know, that's the first time it's recorded that Samson prayed. He only prayed twice in the whole story. One was now and one was at the end. And so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and the spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name En-Hakor, which means spring of the collar, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now Samson went to Gaza and he saw a harlot there and he went in to her. Here's a man favored by God, anointed by God, called by God, has seen such supernatural power of God in his life and yet he cannot control his passions. Many a man or woman of God has fallen for that very reason. Mightily used, but could not control their flesh. And here's an example of that. You thought he would learn his lesson with the woman of Timnath, the Philistine, but he didn't. Now he goes to Gaza, where the Philistines are, and he gets in onto a harlot. Then the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it's daylight, we will kill him. But Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight 
and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and its two gateposts and pulled them up, barn all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now you have to understand, this is not your wee garden gate here. These are the city gates. These are massive gates, not just made of wood, but overlaid with iron so they couldn't be burned down. Hammered into the ground with great posts and a great bar to lock it at night. So what does he do? He grabs the whole thing and he pulls it right out of the ground, puts it on his head and marches up the hill. What power, what strength, what anointing. Where was those guards? Shaking in their boots if they were there at all when they saw that demonstration. So in spite of all of his feelings and all of his faults and all of his lack of control and self-discipline, note this, the Spirit of God is still at this point giving him an anointing and supernatural power. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies. A mystery to them. Why? Because he was not built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. If he had been, there would have been no question. That's where his strength comes from. The only distinguishing feature I believe that he had was his hair. It was a mystery to them. How is this man so strong? We need to know. Listen, the way the enemy works is this. To get at your strengths, he works on your weaknesses. And they knew his weaknesses. He was famous for it. Don't you understand that this was a famous man in Israel? Don't you understand that he could have the pick of anyone he wanted? But what does he choose to do? To go to the Philistines. To go to the Harnets. To go to this woman Delilah. A woman, as you'll see at the moment, had absolutely no feelings for him whatsoever. But he couldn't control his passions. Find out, entice him to find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Ah. 5,500 pieces of silver. That's a tidy sum. That's a lot of money. And so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now you would have thought at that point alarm bells would have been ringing, wouldn't you? I mean, if you went out on somebody on their first date and they're trying to find a way to afflict you, I mean, you'd run a mile, wouldn't you? But here's Samson, hearing this, seeing this. Should have been thinking, what in the world am I involved with this woman for? She wants to afflict me. She wants to destroy me. 
but he was so full of himself. He knew he had this power. He had this anointing. He had this gift. And no matter what he seemed to do, God seemed to overlook it. And that's the danger, isn't it? No matter what he did, God just seemed to, I'll pardon him. I'll overlook that. But there's going to come a point when God will no longer overlook it. And he's getting close to that point, isn't he? And Samson said to her, verse 7, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Ah, Samson, you're not supposed to be like any other man. You're God's man. We are not supposed to be like the world around us. We're different. God's hand is in our lives. We're not like any other man. We're redeemed men, redeemed women, saved, born again of the Spirit of God. But I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up their se- to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait. This is a hit squad. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, so the secret of his strength was not yet known. Now I can assume that there was maybe days between these events. I don't think they just happened in the same night. To see that in a moment. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me that you may be bound with what you may be bound with. So here's, here's the second time. Now, you think he would have twigged on the first time. Here's the second time she's going to do it again. But by this time, it's just a game to him. He doesn't care. This is like fun to him. The Lord's anointing's on him. He doesn't care. It's always going to be there. So she said, so he said to her, if they bind me securely with, with new ropes that have never been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Ah. The Philistines had very bad memories or they didn't know about this, these ones anyway. But is that what happened with the 3,000 men of Judah? Remember they bound them with two ropes that had never been used? So he knew that's not going to work. God did that then for me then, he'll do this for me now. So he felt quite safe and secure, confident. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. Notice here they didn't do anything. (laughs) They were waiting to see if this worked first. They were lying in wait in the room, staying in the room, and he broke them off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me with what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair. Ah. Now he's getting closer and closer and closer to giving the game away. If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly 
with the baton of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep. This man sleeps a lot, doesn't he? You ever notice that? Physically, he slept a lot, didn't he? But spiritually, he was asleep. And he's in for a rude awakening. He really is. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the baton and the web from the loom. That must have been some sight. With a man with a whole loom into his hair, that'd be some job getting that out again, wouldn't it? And then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? She had a cheek saying that, hadn't she? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vaxed to death. He should have been out of there in the first place. He shouldn't even been there. But at least in the first thing, he should have been gone. Like Joseph, when Potiphar's wife pressed him daily, he ran from her presence. This is what he should have done, but he didn't. She pressed him so that his soul was vaxed to death. He ran out of patience, that means. And then he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Oh, Samson, what a foolish man you are. Now you're going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter but he doesn't see it. He doesn't think it. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines. You know, they had sort of half given up at that point. And she says, come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. This was the most expensive haircut in history. And if hell ever had a barber, this is him. Shave off the seven locks of his head and then she began to torment him. And his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep. And he said, I will go out as before, as at other times, and shake myself free. And here's some of the saddest words you'll ever read in the Bible. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Ah, he's played the fool. He's the weak, strong man. All of this time, over these 20 years, with his great anointing and his favor of God and his wonderful calling, and he played it. And it became a game to him. And all he thought he'd do, well, God's called me. I've got the anointing. God's power's in me. All I've got to do is just show up but here he woke up to the terrible fate 
that the presence of God left him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. You know, that was a woman's work or a slave's work to grind the corn to take hold of that shaft of that big stone and go round and round and round. You know, the life of a backslider is a bit like that. Just go round and round and round in circles, going nowhere not fulfilling the call of God, not being the person that God wants them to be, but just going round and round and round. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him to Gaza. He lost his spiritual vision years ago. Now he's lost his physical vision. couldn't see spiritually for years what he should have been what God wanted him to be now he's lost his physical vision but in verse 22 it says however the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven now that's an interesting little verse we're almost finished here an interesting little verse. Can't say for sure, but like to hope so. That all of that time grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding and being blind, not seeing, gave him plenty of time to think and maybe plenty of time to repent. And I'd like to think that somehow or other there's a sense of some repentance in his life here. When his hair began to grow, and when his hair began to grow, maybe he thought about his hair. My hair's growing. The Nazarite hair is growing again. I wonder, is it possible that God hasn't forgotten me? His presence has left me, but I wonder, I wonder when his presence come back. But look at this. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied our dead. And so it happened when their hearts were merry. In other words, when they got a lot of drink into them. They said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And we do know what he did. Wonder what it was. Did he make him dance? 
Did they make him recite some of his poems? He must have been a pitiful sight, blinded. A little boy leading him out. All these people laughing at him, making fun of him. Here's the great Samson, the man who killed a thousand of our people with a jawbone of an ass. Look at him. He's a disgrace. He's a clown. He's a joke. But he's going to have the last laugh, isn't he? So it happened when their hearts were merry. They said, call for Samson. He may perform for us. They called from Samson from the prison. And he performed for them. They stationed him between the pillars. And Samson said to the lad who led him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so I can lean on them. Perhaps he had been in this temple before. Maybe he knew the layout when he was able to see. Now the temple was full of men and women. And all the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord. This is his second prayer. Saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines. But then it's the next few words that kind of troubles me. I'm hoping he's repentant. But then I wonder, for he says, that I may take vengeance for my two eyes. Not for your sake, for my two eyes. Did he repent? Not sure. That statement makes me wonder. But no matter, the Lord heard his prayer. And look what happens. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. And he braced himself against them, one on his right hand, the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that were killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Samson one last time one last time the spirit of God came on him and that supernatural strength rose up in him and he pulled down that great temple doesn't tell us how many died we know he killed at least a thousand and others with a great slaughter so how many is that who knows 1500 2000 it looks like all 3,000 of these people died, were crushed, and him included. And his brothers, King James says his brethren, doesn't look as if he had actual brothers, but maybe family members, and you know, extended family, and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ethel in the tomb of his father Manoah. He judged Israel 20 years there's lots of lessons in that isn't there God has called us to be a holy people a separated people there's a world out there that's going to try to play to our weaknesses 
And every one of us, including this preacher, every one of us has got weaknesses. No question about that. And the devil knows her weaknesses. And he knows the way to get out her strengths is through her weaknesses. That's what he did with him. That's what he'd do with you and do with me if he gets away with it. But we can learn the lessons. God has called us all. He's anointed us all. He's favored us all. We're his children in this world. So let's be separate. Not isolated, but separate. Not assimilated, but separated. And let God use us for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Bless the Lord. Lord, help us to stay close to you. To walk in your footsteps. To be led by your spirit. To walk right before you and humbly. Thanking you for all the gifts and graces and blessings that you have put in all of our lives, but not to take it for granted. But to honor you with them, to make our mark in this world for the kingdom of God. So we give you thanks tonight, Lord. All of your mercies towards us are wonderful. All of the favor you bestowed, wonderful. We bless you for it. Help us to go out into this working week knowing who we are in Christ, knowing the blessings that you have put within our lives, knowing, Lord, that we are living for you and walking with you. So we bless you and we honor you tonight, thanking you for your word that teaches us and admonishes us instructs us how to live. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.